All right, everybody, welcome back to another special edition. Whoa, my mic is loud of Elevate Your Grind. Sorry, folks. I am also producing this episode as well as hosting it and so many other things, as I always do. We are live from day two at the Benzingo Capital Conference on 421. We had a great time on 420. I got to say, this has been, first of all, I'd welcome my guest. Probably now this would be your third time on the show yeah. because you did the end of the year. So you might be our, our most frequented guest, either you or Emily, one or the other. It's a race between the packs. It is. We'll see. You know, I, I'm starting to feel responsible for your careers now from outside of the investment world. You know, you guys come on the show. Now, Emily's doing her podcast with Size yeah. Sky. You've got your closing bell thing. I mean, right. I feel like I gave the Paxias the podcast bug. You did. You gave us the bug for sure. <laughs> and then I see Emily's got it set up at like a villa in the at the pool. I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing wrong here. I know poolside's pretty sweet. It is pretty yeah. sweet. So more, I gotta be honest, man. I was at this show in, in 2020, right before the pandemic, and it was good then. Yeah. I gotta say, this is and not to really blow smoke up Benzinga, but this is probably one of the best conferences I've been to in a very, very long time. I've been hearing that from a lot of folks. I mean, I think there's just so much interest and energy to get back in person, right? And this is like one of the first times I feel like so many people, plus New England weather is pretty lousy this time of year. Yeah, so it's a good reason to get down here. There's just a lot of good reasons. I mean, and Florida is just where there's so much energy. You yeah, know, Emily's here almost every month. I'm here, you know, I'll probably be here four or five times this year. So there's just a lot going on. And so, but, you know, I think it's also where our industry is. I, I hope so. So, you know, it's funny. I've been having a lot of good. So we literally just went over what we were going to talk about. I'm going to probably not go over any of it right now. <laughs> but it's interesting because I'm I look at this market in Florida and I, I want it to be an amazing cannabis market, right? Um, because I live here and I'm a huge cannabis fan. And I think we have a great cannabis culture here that's very hidden underground. It's not like California where it's weaved into the legacy of the state right. and it's been part of the culture. It's been very much underground here. We have, you know, 25 million people, 30 million people, only 700,000 patients and 22 right. licenses that are godlike licenses that you can get as many retailers as you want. And I think that's bad for our state, you know, kudos to the companies that were able to get a huge head start but i would love to see more of a you know free market here for cannabis because i think it's just going to make this state so much better and uh, seriously compete with california mm -hmm. i you know thank you for sharing those stats because i think that doesn't get talked about enough is you know because people talk about oh patient counts are slowing or what and it's like you're just barely scratching the surface barely of what the Florida potential is. So that so. Blew, I think we talked about this on, on that year end review. What blew my mind, and I think it was 2020 or 2021, and Florida did like 1.2 billion, yeah. where Michigan had did 1.21 billion, but Michigan was recreational and Florida only had 400 to 500,000 patients. And I know people are like black market this. No, literally four to 500,000 people are the only people who are authorized to buy cannabis where they can track the sales. Right. So it's not like we're fudging those numbers somehow. Right. Right. No, it's incredible. And, and, you know, there's just, that's the beautiful thing about where we are as an industry. I mean, look, today is 421. This is a historic day in New Jersey, not to pivot away from Florida, but you know, when adult Florida, starts, New Jersey is almost the same thing, just yeah. different geographies, <laughs> same people. <laughs> but I mean, like, you know, we're going from zero adult use legal sales. Well, now that they've already begun to forecasted to be what, 2 billion by 2025. Yeah. So in two and a half years, generating $2 billion of sales, on an annual basis. So that's just incredible. So think about what Florida will look like. It's really unfortunate it didn't get on the ballot this year, but you know, it will come. And in the interim, you know, you do have a thriving uh, uh, medical market and that's okay. I mean, yeah. there's, you know, what's the nice thing about Florida is when you think about it as a medical market versus say like an Arizona, 
where Arizona's medical market really got so established that, you know, basically almost reached parity of the adult use market. So when it became adult use legal, there was a little bit of a lift. But when Florida goes, we'll see a, a significant. Oh, I, I can't even imagine. And, and even just the tourism that we have here between. Yeah. Listen, I'm a parent. I have a two and a half year old. I have a 10 month old and cannabis and Disney go hand in hand for parents. Oh. I'm telling you right now, you wake up, you take your edible, you head to the park. Those lines do not seem nearly as bad as they they, they typically do. I mean, 100 percent. If yeah. I was going to go to Disney, I would for sure be taking something to help me it, it, get through those lines it keeps you it keeps it the most magical place on earth and then we have obviously <laughs> all we have all the beaches and everything else so i can only imagine what those sales are going to look like i go back I, I i do like the companies that are here but because they're fully vertical i feel like it, it is a hindrance to the market it's yeah. a hindrance to, the r d is hindered because of the regulations but i who was i talking i want is either robert beasley or jonathan sandelman yesterday and i was saying like you have all these California brands and they're so rooted in California. They're now looking to open up in other states and they're making licensing deals. And that's great. But I start to look at the state of Florida and we're, I, I called them college football states where people are proud to be kind of where they're from, right? Yep. Florida has Florida state and, and Miami and that other school in Gainesville. You've got Michigan, you've got places like Texas where I wonder if a born in California brand that has a deep California heritage will really succeed in Florida versus someone coming out of Florida and building a made in Florida brand where, you know, like, and, and truly starting to do this with some of the legacy growers, but a true mm -hmm. brand that can come into Florida and be a born in Florida brand. I feel like that would dominate locally and there'd be some California players, but I feel like that's what we're going to start seeing as these markets mature. Yes. Yeah. I mean, branding is still very early. Um, you know, you're seeing some brands succeeding in States, but they don't always translate to other States. And so that's what's really fun about it is, I mean, form factors, uh, um, you know, just brands generally, I think what you guys are doing with, uh, with Heisman, I'll give you a plug there. I feel like that has much more of a, a national kind of appeal because it isn't just kind of rooted in a geographic appeal. It's a national appeal. Yeah. And, and I think that's really great because then you have more flexibility to partner with, with a lot more, um, you know, different groups and, and see how that can go. But, you know, that's also because Ricky is a national treasure. And so yeah. that's, that's fantastic. And I think that's a great, you know, we'll, we'll continue to see this evolution. Um, you know, California has some great brands, but so does Oregon. So does Washington. I'm really excited to see what kind of brands will come out of New York. Yeah. There'll be some fun vibe there, you know, so there's, it's still early. Uh, but, you know, we just, I think a bigger question or, or discussion is around, you know, the development of our industry and how it's getting impaired a bit because of the absence of some federal regulations that really does benefit disproportionately the largest, most scaled operators. You're, there's so many things that I want to go into there. And let's thank you for the kind words about Heisman. I definitely agree with you. And, and, and I love a lot of the brands in California. I love, love, love them. I'm just curious to know how that translates to that national scale. And I feel like people need to start building that community and they need to start talking to their customer. I can keep beating that to death. I've talked about brands. Let's talk about the federal regulations real quick because I'm interested in that. And what scares the crap out of me it's kind of like uh, they say that quote, if you're going through hell, don't stop, keep going, because why would you stop in hell, right? Federal, the federal legalization or the regulations need to change so we can have better things in our industry. But what scares me is before it actually makes it better is it might make it worse because yeah. it, it listen, I'm not an anti-government person, not a conspiracy theorist, but listen, I haven't seen the government do anything right the first time. I, nothing clean, clear, easy to use, everything they've rolled out, COVID tests, uh, uh, unemployment sites, the DMV for a perfect example, 
they tend they tend to be very trial and error in fixing things you have so many people that are unfamiliar with the industry that are voting on these things we don't have a, a state market where we can point to and say just do that right. yet so do you have some sort of fear that we do have to go through a little bit of hell to get to the better side of the industry because the federal government might muck it up yeah, you know, Ben was on Ben Kovler from uh, GTI. I've was heard on of him. CNBC yesterday. And, that, and this morning he's handing out donuts in New Jersey. That yes. guy is on the move. He's on the move. But he made a really good point about, you know, it's kind of like a technology where you don't wait until it's perfect to get it out. Okay. Right? You get some MVP and you get it in the market. Uh, that's not how DC works. And that's the challenge. So there's pros and cons. Uh, you know, as I mentioned before, it's it really disproportionately benefits the top, the largest operators. But at the same time, it's allowed our industry room to kind of build and, and learn. You know, a lot of these states, they don't know how to do this yet. They're learning and they're evolving. Some have done it better than others. California certainly has showed the, the world how to do a lot of things wrong. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we'll learn from that. And uh, but I do I, I think you're right that there should be some concern around what that federal uh, program will ultimately look like. But remember, when that day comes, just because it gets voted upon, and passed, then when it gets finally implemented, there could be years of lag time. So we're still talking about a long, long period of time. I mean, unless it's something simple like safe, but that doesn't even seem like it's it's even in the realm of possibility at this point. And there's a lot of other things being discussed that could go around it or build around federal programs, like what's happening in New York State with a 280E tax uh, offset. You know, if you've seen this about the standard deductions, it's already happening in Michigan. More states start doing that. You know that'll that'll help companies have free cash flow. Um, states like Pennsylvania have enacted or trying to pass uh, state level uh, legal banking. So again, trying everything's happening at the company level and the state level, and we'll continue to see that progress. And someday the federal government will come into play, but we got to focus on where the action is. Yeah, I you know you've brought you've mentioned new york a few times and i'm so excited for them i was i'm, I'm you know new yorker originally actually i'm in, i'm from new jersey so i know everywhere from new york will call me bridge and tunnel but uh my dad you know worked in the city and i've spent plenty of time in new york you say you're excited to see the brand i'm so excited for the new york market and i wonder if that is going to be potentially something i will end up being the model for a federal level because at the end of the day in my opinion new york city Manhattan is the capital of the world, yeah. the world. Yeah. Anybody who's anybody does business has gone through New York City at one point around the world. If you're coming to the United States, you go to New York City. So right. I feel like it's going to be the epicenter for the largest brands in the world, for the largest ancillary companies in the world. There's going to be a completely separate somewhat integrated culture than the California culture. So I'm, I'm very pumped to see that from both sides. Yeah, me too. I, I, I mean, it's I'm a former New Yorker, if you remember Bill's fans, the real side. Yes. Yeah. We'll get we'll so, get to the Bills game. How do you feel about the new overtime rule? <laughs> where did that come from? I know. <laughs> so, yeah, no, I think New York is very exciting. I think it's, uh, you know, New Jersey opening right now is just further pressure on the Northeast corridor yes. to get things going. That's positive. It can put pressure on Pennsylvania. But, you know, with New York, it's it does have that energy. You know, we last uh, December, Emily. Uh, Tyler, uh, Greif and I, we went to the New York Stock Exchange, did a whole tour because, you know, with our ETF PSDN, yes. we did this whole thing. And, you know, it's just amazing. You go down there and the history and, you know, it just it, it just gives me goosebumps because it is it's amazing what this country has done. Yeah. Even with some of these things that like drive us all crazy. 
but you know that's the american spirit it's and it's you just feel it it's alive when you go yeah. to new york i but so i mean not to get preachy i've always felt like when you rely on the government, you look to the government to do what you need them to do. They're always going to let you down. But the people of this country and the communities and together, those are that's where this country is. When you go to the communities in New York and you go to the communities around because everybody in the community, you kind of you, you love each other. And you want to help. You don't want to see your neighbors fail. And, you know, it sucks that it always takes something terrible to bring this country together. But, yeah. you know, it hasn't let me down yet. Um, you know, even I was going to say one thing while we were at the uh, New York Stock Exchange. Don't forget what the uh, the Constitution was originally drafted on. Hemp oh, paper. that's correct. So but I was like just feeling like this, like full circle of everything we're doing today and like going back to our roots. Not to interrupt, but it's no, just please. Natural transition into this. So obviously I followed you on LinkedIn. I see all your posts and you are a big industrial hemp guy. And it's yeah. funny. This show has gotten away from talking about that because I've personally gotten deeper into the THC side of the industry. But I was talking to my CEO about it. I'm like, I forgot how much like I miss talking about that part. So I know that you guys have backed a company called Bascor mm -hmm. um, and they are crushing it in the industrial hemp space. Where are we as far as seeing mass produced hemp products? I know it's been, you know, re recreating the decortification process, making it you know, affordable and scalable and everything else. I think, you know, I don't know if that helps fight the stigma, but at the very least as an industry, especially from a cultivation standpoint, the opportunity for this country is incredible from a financial standpoint. Absolutely. Yeah. It's been, I think it's been for those of us that are passionate about it, it's definitely taken longer than I, most of us would have liked to, but you know, it, it has a different path. And that's what I think is really complimentary to cannabis because they just they they are interconnected, but their trajectories are are vastly different. So industrial hemp has been in this more of like this R and D kind of mode for years because they have to figure out this whole supply chain. Yeah, and we've had to do this with a lot less capital flow relative to the THC side of things. Um, you know, there's just a little more excitement or has been around THC, but I feel like 2022 could be a, a turning point where industrial hemp really starts to garner a much larger amount of attention. There was actually a company out of Illinois called uh, Natural Fiber Welding. Um, they just raised an $85 million Series B round wow. uh, and they will work with hemp as well. And so to see a company like that get mainstream uh, venture capital, trying to do things with natural fibers um, and we're, you know, with what we're doing with Bascor is just specifically focused on it. And to really bring that to scale um, has taken a lot of time, a lot of effort because they, they focus all the way from the, the very beginning. And so they just actually launched a program with Cone Denim, which is one of the oldest uh, denim companies uh, around, you know, I think since 1891. And so now they've launched or are launching a denim product that is used with all U.S. grown and processed hemp, U.S. organic cotton and U.S. Um, uh, uh, dyes made of indigo. So it's all organic, it's all natural, it's all US. I and, love that. And it's amazing. And so if we can start doing that, when you think of just the disruptions we've seen in global supply chains from the pandemic, and now it's been even further exacerbated by this you know, horrible thing going on over in Russia mm -hmm. uh, and Ukraine, um, you know, we can do these things at home. Like we can be American made, we can create jobs, we can create taxes, not just on the cannabis side, but on the industrial hemp side. And, and those total addressable markets are massive yeah. and super exciting. So I think we're, we're getting there, but it will take a lot more capital to really bring that up to scale. I mean, we've seen billions of dollars invested on the THC side. I don't even think we've crossed even where, anywhere even over a couple hundred million on the industrial hemp side. Wait, and, it's yeah. crazy to me because for the first time ever, we actually have something 
that is a better option, a more sustainable option that's legitimately better. It's not like these bullshit paper straws that we've been all right. trying to figure out how to use. They're like, hey, this is better for the environment in one way or another is actually not that much better use it. And then it disintegrates in your drink. It's just not functional. <laughs> the hemp products are better than the products that they're replacing. Hempcrete yes. is a great product. Yeah. Hemp, um, the, the car fibers can be made out of steel, uh, or cars were made of the model T had, had hemp parts to it. Yeah. And even the clothing, like, so that's, that's the craziest part to me is not only is it more sustainable and better for the environment and, and can be American made, but it's actually a better product for the first time ever. It's not like a, you'll get used to it type of deal, you know? Right. And that's important. I mean, you know, and the consumer is really driving this. They want it. And that's, you know, and so just like as we talk about in cannabis, you go to where the consumers are. And so that's that's the same in cannabis or on the industrial hemp side. And so they're demanding it. They're demanding it for clothing. They want it in, to see it in more and more products. And so that is, you know, again, it's I feel like the psychological tipping point where we're, we're now we'll start to see a lot more capital. Okay. And, and, you know, the nice thing with hemp is it's federally legal. So, you know, their access to capital is much broader. It's just been, like I said, most of the attention has been taken into the cannabis industry, but, you know, we'll start to see a lot more from an institutional flow perspective in the hemp side of things, especially as value add products come to market. That's yeah. been the biggest challenge for a lot of capital is that they don't want to go into a commodity like product. They want to see something like a value add and you know, mentioning it about car parts or about cars is like, remember when Tesla started, they focused on high value, low production. Yeah. Fast course, very, very similar approach. High value, low production. Prove that the product works, prove that it has value, that there's demand, and then bring the scale with it. I think that's smart. I, I, and, you know, I, I didn't know that actually. When you say it about Tesla, it makes sense. They had the beautiful Model S that they came out with. It was a hundred something thousand dollars for like the full 109 for the fully loaded one, but it was, for the first time, we didn't have an electric car that looked shitty. Like, no offense <laughs> yes. to anybody who drives a Toyota Prius, but it's not an attractive looking car. It's just not like and it's the, not comfortable riding. No, the Tesla Model S is gorgeous. And then there's people who even do them up even nicer now. Like, so going back to the old hot riding or anybody put rims on their car, like they mm -hmm. took a Tesla and they treated it like an actual car. And I see the success with that for for Bascard, Bascard to do that, like, I guess to make I don't want to say a luxury product, but more of like a night a nicer jean that people are wearing today versus just something that's an mvp that they can mass produce to get it out to as many people i don't think that does as well but if you get a select group of people that truly fall in love with it that's got to be the move there to adopt a new fiber like yeah. it's got to I mean, be imagine when you go to pick up a pair of jeans off the off the shelf and you can see where it was made yeah. where it was grown we're gonna have coas on jeans yeah <laughs> so hopefully next time i'm on i'll be wearing some basscore denim I, I need a new pair of jeans. These have like three patches on them. So I think I'll just hold off till that happens. Yeah. Very cool, man. Well, you know, we've been here for two days. I love talking to you guys. You're always at the forefront of the industry. What, what coming out of this conference, what's the most exciting thing you think will happen in 22, 2020? That's when we're in 2022 for the industry. We're in 2022. You know, I think what we're looking forward to is, uh, is our industry has unfortunately been, we're in major growth mode and bull mode underneath the public equities what i'm looking forward to is finally that being reflected on the public side of things okay. and so the discussions here are you know there's there's some fabulous institutional investors here at this conference that see the value that are like there is a pricing mismatch and so for them to be coming here and seeing firsthand and meeting because like like you said i mean this is 
been a fantastic conference. Mm -hmm. There are major decision makers at this event. Yes. So having that, you know, face-to-face connection just will further their thesis around this industry and, and get capital reaccelerating because there's been capital movement on the, you know, on the debt side, uh, on the real estate via, via you know, sale leasebacks, but equity has been super challenged yes. for far too long. And we need equity. Very aware. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so we need, and so that's what I'm very excited about is, you know, I think we're, we're getting to that point where there's enough new capital wanting to come. And, and this, and, you know, we may look back and say Benzinga 2022, uh, Miami was the was that turning point. No, I am excited for that too, and I think you're right. I think the public markets give people a hesitation to invest in the private markets because of what they've done. Um, you know, the the stocks are undervalued, and it, it is crazy to me. Like I, I I see traditional investors talking about the you know the PE ratios and everything else, and if this was any other stock in any other industry you buy the crap out of it. But because it's in cannabis, you're worried about it. And I can't tell you how many times I go to party. Like I got kids now, so we do soccer and all that stuff. And like, oh, you're in cannabis? What do you think of Tilray? What do you think? Like, yeah. I, I don't think anything. I think right. that the public, I go, I think the public markets are fake. I think public opinion's keeping it down. I think that it's on the Canadian stock exchange, which is not good for it in general because of volume. I don't know what I'm talking about. I tell people, I'm like, they're like, well, what stock would you buy? I'm like, none of them. Yeah. I say buy PSDN. That's what I say. Oh, I yeah. can say it. I don't know That's if right. he's allowed to say that on TV, but I can. So <laughs> put, put 99% of your money in PSDN and then Ooh. something else because you have to diversify. That's right. <laughs> diversify. Yes. So. Yeah. No, I mean, exactly. Yeah. And Tilray's, you know, tons of volume, great trading stock, but, you know, we're investors. And so we want like good value fundamentals, businesses that have, you know, long, long-term value. Mm-hmm. And you're right. And we need the public equity to work because, they are interconnected, right? When we look at- and actually, That's our PR. That's our marketing for the cannabis industry yeah. is the public market. And it's our exit pathways yeah. for so many private companies to be able to be acquired by public equities. And they need to have enough of a, a value arbitrage, not to get too deep into the weeds here, but you know, so we just, we need the public equities to function better for the overall health of our industry. You know, I was, last year I was pounding the table that we needed California to be functioning for the long-term health of just US cannabis. And that is starting to improve. Yeah. Now we need the public equities to improve. And, and, you know, even regardless of whenever we'll get something from the federal level, we can do it without federal action because we are. Yeah. Uh, but again, we need some safety. We need more states potentially do some more state banking initiatives that get cash out of the dispensaries so that they can transact right into, you know, like every other retail business because they are unfortunately becoming targets. You know, the increased yeah. amount of, of uh, criminal activity happening at, at dispensaries nationwide this year is, is staggering. Yes. And because, you know, that it's so well publicized that these are sitting ducks. And so we got to fix that. Um, and we need to fix it for the depth of our industry. Like I said, you know, overly benefiting the, the top because they have enough scale. They have access that others don't. Their cost of capital is going down while the smaller operators are seeing their cost of capital yeah. expand. And that's just going to exacerbate the spread. No, I, you know. Not to end on a negative note. No, we don't have to end on a negative note because I want to transition. The last thing I want to say is that I, and this is, it's a self-promotion, a shameless promotion for the panel that C-Lab is doing tonight. Um, I think we're starting to see an inflection point where you have small operators and big operators or call them legacy and call them corporate, whatever you want to call them. They're starting to realize that they need to work together, right? You have some of these big MSOs that realize that they did a really good job building a retail brand, in my opinion, right? Product brand, they just happen to do product brand because- it all has the same logo, same name on it. So they created this brand, but to me, they're known as retailers and they're starting to look to some of these smaller brands, some of these niche brands to help them 
build demand. So I start to take a step back and I look at it as some of these MSOs are starting to build a platform for the people who are coming from the legacy market. People have been grinding their ass off. Now, if they can partner together, we'll have this bigger platform to tell their story, to give their authentic story and reach their audience. I hope that's what's happening. I don't know. I'm starting to see that. Obviously, there still needs to be a path for legacy growers and, and legacy people in the industry to have their own path forward without partnering there. But I think we're starting to see an inflection point where both sides, instead of just doing this, are starting to realize they need each other a little bit more than they thought. Yeah. No, you're right. I mean, they so they, they're going to have a certain amount of shelf that they want for their own products, right? For margin control and, and, and just overall control of their inventories and production and everything. But having space is great for, you know, to explore. I mean, consumers are, are curious too. Yeah. And so if they can explore some fun, niche, different, new, innovative products, I mean, that's, you know, people ask like, what, what have I been seeing from on the product side? And honestly, it's, I felt like recently in California, it's been pretty flat because it's been under so much pressure. Yeah. So it has really, it's, it's held back innovation and that's unfortunate, but you know, a healthy market breeds more innovation because there's more risk capabilities. Uh, and, and, you know, folks that have been doing this for a very long time, you know, they, they just understand so much more about it, that they have the ability to create these, these newer products. And, and so, yeah, that's, I mean, it's still wide open. I, I mean, I'm, I'm excited about what's happening in beverage just because the form factor yeah. is attractive, you know, for, you know, for just social consumption purposes. Um, you know, I always kind of joke about the idea of like eating a gummy is not a social experience. No, that's, that's, you know, no, you do it as you're gummy. walking to the theme park. Yeah. That's when you do <laughs> or, or, or on your way to the airport or, right. um, but I agree. But even on that point, and I'm a joint smoker through and through, it's my favorite way to consume. Yeah. I fully know that that is a very invasive process for the people around me. So regardless of how they feel yeah. about cannabis, they just may not like smoke. So like, you know, think about in, in this conference, if I'm going, I'm not stepping right outside the door and doing, it, I'm going off to the side. We we're at the C-Lab event, which was a non-consumption event. And I probably shouldn't say that on camera, but <laughs> you know, I remember what my producer is over here looking at us and I said, let's go, Hey, let's go walk over there. So that's where we're away from people. Cause I'm very conscious that smoke will fill the area. Whereas a drink is a drink. And that's, that's been part of our culture for, for hundreds of thousands of years. And yeah. you know, I, as much as I haven't really experimented with those drinks, I truly believe that that is the consumption method for the future of cannabis. Yeah. I mean, I think social cannabis. At least. Social, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I do, I agree though. Like, I mean, a, a good joint is great. It's the best. I mean, it's, it's just, I mean, and that is a social thing. And obviously, you know, we, it was actually really interesting to see how much pre-roll grew as a category in the pandemic for something that can't be shared. People are lazy. People <laughs> I mean, it's very, very easy to grab and go. Yeah. So, and when, you know, like all you could do during the pandemic was just go for another shitty walk. Right? Yeah. There was like very little things to do. So, I mean, that's the pre-roll. Oh, was Some of us had sailboats to go on, but well, we did that too. <laughs> I get jealous, man. You guys look like you have so much fun out there. Um, yeah, it, it is nuts with the pre-rolls and the infused pre-rolls coming out. And I can tell you, oh, it's, those are great. but, but pre-rolls, I mean, that's just, America. That's how we are. Right. Because I can tell you, I, I roll very good joints. I do it. I enjoy doing it. But when I'm in California, I tend to grab periods because they're already rolled. They're already there. I don't need to spend the time to roll them and be prepared. And, I, and I'm someone who enjoys that. So I think we're just going more towards the mainstream adoption of cannabis where it's, you know, you don't you want a meal. You're going to go to McDonald's and get something quick. You're not going to go get ground beef and grow up your own burgers. So 
Yeah. I mean, even if it's, you know, in some instances, not, not what you're talking about in cannabis, but you know, in other areas, people will actually uh, accept a lower quality product for convenience. Yeah. We get the benefit of, we can still have really high quality and convenience. Yeah. So that's pretty awesome. Well, I'm a big fan of this infused pre-roll revolution. I know it's just really leaning into the, the strength of cannabis, but yeah. I think people are, are, I don't know. I'm just very bullish on this market. I'm excited to see it. I've been a fan of cannabis forever. So the infuse is cool because it, it introduces more flavor profiles yes. to it. Um, I know it can, it obviously in, increases the intensity. Jeter is obviously kicked ass at that. Uh-huh. We had a company that, you know, had originally done pretty well with that, but you know, Jeter really just owns that category. And so Lucas and Patrick them. known those guys in seventh grade. Yeah. So, yeah. So another shout out for, uh, for you and, and, uh, and your friends. Cause they, I mean, they, it's been impressive what they have done. I mean, that has just been, but- you know, they, they showed that a pre-roll can be a dominant brand. I will tell you that the, the traces and the Solanos, Lucas, Patrick, David, Sebastian, they are very good at taking something simple and blowing it up because I don't know if you know what they did prior to Jeter. So they, mm-hmm. they, they went to Florida state and there are a few fraternities that threw this party called Dayglo. Um, okay. And it was a black light party. We're all white. And you threw this uh, lumin- luminescent paint on each other and all. And it was, and it was very much like almost like a early days of EDM. These guys saw that started doing it at their house, charge people took up the house, started doing it. At the clubs around Tallahassee charge people started doing it at all the other schools, uh, UNF, UF, took it around, and then turned it into a touring EDM festival, which was called Dayglow, which eventually became Life in Color. I think it sold to like VFX for like 52 million. And then they rolled that, two of them rolled that, and they started Jeter, and then the rest of them came on board. So this is actually their second rodeo. Those guys, I mean, branding experts, marketing experts, they're very good at taking something that's just so simple and blowing it the hell up. So good shout out to them. I like how you're like, and they charge for that. They do. I mean, it's, it's a business at the end of the day. They're not yeah. just trying to be cool and throw parties. Right. Yeah, um, no, for sure, for sure. And but they've done a great job. They have done a phenomenal job. Um, I'm learning from them, but I think they, they, you know, they built a model in California where you do one thing really well and focus on it. And, and they, they, they stumbled out of the gates with that. They started out white labeling. And I don't know if I'm revealing too much of their business model, but they started out white labeling for other brands. They wanted to, you know, procure and, and produce. And then, they took a step back. They're like, well, the Jeters are doing well. Let's just focus all in on that. Yeah. Even when it came time that a Heisman collapsed, they're like, we love your brand and everything else. They're like, we don't collab with other brands. And then they looked at us, looked what we were about, looked at Ricky's story. They're like, all right, this is, this deserves a Jeter collab. Yeah. And that was incredible. So I appreciate yeah, you calling all this out. Guys. That was, that was a great call. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, great way to launch. Cause you guys launched right at, on Super Bowl. The Jeter and Heisman collab came out specifically for yeah. Super Bowl. Yeah, that locker. Let's see if we have any sitting around. I can get you. You were, yeah. I don't know if you know this, you were actually one of the first people outside of the management team to try cannabis directly from the Heisman package. Wow. Yes. Oh my God. Because you, Ooh, we, I didn't know that. Yes. I forgot about it because we, we, I mean, we went there and we tried all the strains and we picked everything we wanted and, you know, we, with the Fino Hunt and all that. Yeah. But by the time it, we didn't get it packaged to us. It was MJ BizCon. You guys were the first meeting. Yeah. So, yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. Absolutely. Oh I think gosh. I don't see anybody else like more appropriate. Should've. You should have. <laughs> we should add Ricky autograph it for you. Yeah. Well, so. we've got some good autographs up in the office, which is awesome. Yes. So, Morgan, it's been, we've been doing this. I said 15, 20 minutes. I think we went for 40. So, it is always a pleasure sitting down with you. I know Emily's all over the conference. You guys yeah. are here. Uh, tune in. With, so, you do your uh, closing bell on Twitter at 430? 
We do it uh, 4 p.m. Eastern, Tuesdays, Thursdays, obviously the, not this week being here. Uh, we may try to squeeze in a quick 30 minutes today, but yeah, thank you for the shout out there. Yeah, we Absolutely. just try to have, you know, uh, commentary about what we're seeing in the markets, um, what's going on. And then, uh, and then we try to bring guests on and have interactive dialogues. And the great thing with spaces is, uh, you know, we do conversation for the first, you know, 30, 45 minutes and then open it up to, uh, to the Twitter world. Yeah. So guys definitely check them out on Twitter. Uh, it's Twitter spaces, four o'clock. What, what's your Twitter handle? Um, so it's, it's a joke name, but it's hedgy vest dude. I think if you just search Morgan Paxia, you'll find it. Um, it's a joke. I'm not really a hedgy vest dude. So, but people sometimes get a little upset, by, but it's just, it's all meant to be fun. It's meant to be fun. We like to have fun. We try to be, you know, positive about it. There's, there's a lot of negativity out there, but you know, as an industry, let's stay positive. We're making good strides and uh, there's still so much to go. So let's, let's, I, I got one more funny story on that note to share with you. Uh, we obviously were raising capital. We had a meeting and it was with a, a former institutional Wall Street guy and it was a little chilly out and we show up to the place and my buddy goes, what do you think he's wearing? Because we try to figure out like in cannabis, you don't know if people are going to show up in suits. They're going to show up in cargo shorts. You don't know. So like, what do you think he's going to wear? I go, based on the weather, I think he'll wear a button down, uh, like a Patagonia vest and some chinos. And the guy, all of a sudden we're sitting at the place. Guy walks in the exact outfit I described looks. Todd and my CEO just starts dying laughing. I'm like, Nailed it. Hey man, I know the outfit. You know it. So That's Morgan, awesome. thank you so much for coming, man. <laughs> thank you.